You're about to listen to a message by Pastor Ikena Okeke of the Father's Church. Please join Pastor Ikena Okeke and be blessed. Philippians chapter 3 on Sunday, that's where we started. And this evening I'd like to take it and I'd like to read from the Amplified Version. And I'm reading Philippians chapter 3 from verse 3, the Amplified Classic. It says, for we Christians are the true circumcision who worship God in spirit and by the spirit of God and exalt and glory and pride ourselves in Jesus Christ and put no confidence or dependence on what we are in the flesh and on outward privileges and physical advantages and external appearances. I read the second part and put no confidence or dependence on what we are in the flesh and on outward privileges and physical advantages and external appearances. We don't put confidence in that. Though for myself, I have at least grounds to rely on the flesh, if any other man considers that he has or seems to have reason to rely on the flesh, and his physical and outward advantages, I have still more. Circumcised when I was eight days old, of the race of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew, and the son of Hebrews, as to the observance of the law, I was of the party of the Pharisees. As to my zeal, I was a persecutor of the church, and by the law standard of righteousness, supposed justice, uprightness, and right standing with God, I was proven to be blameless and no fault was found in me. But whatever former things I had that might have been gains to me, I have come to consider as one combined loss for Christ's sake. Yes, furthermore, I count everything as loss compared to the possession of the priceless privilege, the overwhelming preciousness, the surpassing worth, and supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, and of progressively becoming more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, of perceiving and recognizing and understanding him more fully and clearly. For his sake, I have lost everything and considered all to be mere rubbish, refuse, dread, in order that I may win gain Christ, the anointed one. May that be our portion as well in Jesus' name. Praise God. This is the Apostle Paul, and he's giving us his background here as well. He was a persecutor of the church, not because he wanted to do wickedness. He was persecuting the church because he thought the Christians were wrong. He thought that they were contrary to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He thought that they were leading people away from the established way to God, which was Judaism. So he was zealous to the extent that he was killing Christians, putting them in prison, and doing all of that in his mind, thinking to serve God, until he had the encounter in Acts of the Apostles, where God appeared to him, where Jesus appeared to him. And made the statement, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Very important point there, why are you persecuting me? As you know, Jesus already had 
resurrected. Jesus was in heaven. Praise the Lord. But Jesus still said to Saul, you're doing what? You're persecuting me. Because, you know, there are several pictures in the Bible, or the Bible gives us that we have to continue to hold on to because it helps us in different situations. Jesus saying, why are you persecuting me? Helps us to understand when the Bible says that the church is the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. We are not just his property. We are his body. What touches us touches him. Praise the Lord. And where he is, we are. And the way you may understand it is, um, you know, the picture of children maybe playing hide and seek. And oftentimes you see a child, he puts his head under the pillow and says he's hiding. Can you see me? You know, only his head is hidden, but his whole body is outside. <laughs> Praise God. So to him, because his eyes can't see the other children, he has hidden. But his body is outside, so they'll come and hold him and say, we've caught you. We've seen you. So our Lord Jesus is in heaven. The Bible says he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Praise God. But we are his body and we are still on earth. So there's a connection. And it should strengthen each and every one of us here. That whatever we're going through as Christians, as Jesus is on, he's also feeling it. And it's interesting to know that the Bible says he ever lives to do what? To make intercessions for you and I. He's mindful. He's mindful of us. He has finished his work. Praise the Lord. But just like every runner in a relay race, the one that finishes doesn't go and start drinking malt. He's encouraging the rest of the runners, isn't it? Because he knows that when they win, they win together. So Jesus said to Saul of Tarsus, he said, why are you persecuting me? And Saul surprisingly was wondering, I mean, all the people I'm persecuting are here. Who is there talking? So he said, who are you? And he says, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. He knew the name Jesus. Immediately, he didn't need anybody to preach a sermon to him. He now knew that this Jesus, as he's being preached, was the Son of God. And that was his conversion. The Bible says, immediately he rose and went on and began to preach Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And that's where we began our meditation on Sunday. And that's what Paul was saying here. I want to gain him. I want to embrace if I could live and have him move amongst us and have him in my neighborhood and have him do things and I didn't know him. Now that I see he's the son of God, what do I want to do? I want to get all of him. Praise the Lord. And that's what the Amplified tried to you know, tell us here in verse 8. Verse 8, it says, Furthermore, I count everything as lost compared to the possession of the priceless privilege, the overwhelming preciousness, the surpassing worth and supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, and progressively becoming more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, of perceiving and recognizing and understanding him more fully and clearly. What he's saying here is degrees. Praise the Lord. At this point, definitely, Paul was born again. Paul was an apostle. Paul had been used. But he's saying there are degrees. I want to get all of it. Praise the Lord. I want to enter into the fullness. And we began to learn that for you and I, it must also be our pursuit. Even though we agree that it should be in levels. For some persons at this stage, very clearly, all you might need Jesus for is to save you. 
A sinner, all he needs first from Jesus is what? Salvation. He needs his sins forgiven. And that will be okay. Praise the Lord. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's part of what he will do. Praise God. But if you're saved and by the mercy of God, rapture doesn't take place immediately and you're still here. If you have such a property, you know, what do you do with it? You begin to discover it. You begin to walk to experience it fully. And the goodness of God and the plan of God is that he now orchestrates every situation that you and I pass through as born-again Christians to be instruments of teaching. So indeed, you and I, for the believer, this world is a laboratory where we discover God. Every day we live, it's an experiment. He's teaching you. He's teaching me. He's teaching us dimensions of himself. Praise the Lord. So the Bible can now say to you and I, and we know that all things do what? Work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. Not some things, all things. Why? Because he has saved you, so he has given you, the Bible says, receiving the end of our faith, the salvation of our souls. So once Jesus has settled the issue of your salvation and my salvation, the next thing he wants to do is to unravel, to show his greatness, his wonders through our lives. And then in that process, he says, I will use everything. I know if we are left to choose, we'll tell him, don't use some things. But he has said, all things will work together. The apostle Paul says, these light afflictions, they work for us. Not just the blessings. Everything is working for us. They put him in prison. He says, this thing has worked for the furtherance of the gospel. Because he was told that he was going to bring the gospel to Caesar. He was going to bring the gospel to kings and palaces. Now, he had opportunity before he left Jerusalem of preaching to kings. But when he got to Rome, he didn't stand physically before Rome. The agenda was that while he was in prison, the same guards that guarded him in prison will be the same guards that gathered them in the palace. So when the guards are with him, he will win them over to Christ. When the guards get back to Caesar's palace, they will also convert their family. And then that's how the gospel got into the palace. All things working together. Praise the Lord. Didn't Jesus tell us that the kingdom is like leaven which a man took and hid in a dough? And hid it. And what did it happen? He said it leavened the whole lump. So you and I are like agents. And God has placed us in diverse situations and situations so that we will do what? We will experience him and make him known to our world. He's depending on us and he is not afraid that we will fail him. You know, sometimes you watch um, some of those spy movies and you marvel at the confidence the big men have in the people they are sending out. You're sending out a man and you're sending him into the enemies then, you know, all kinds of things are happening there. But they've trained that man, you know, every possible scenario that he may experience has been pre-imagined. And some there is always provision. The ones that he can't do himself, they are waiting to send back up. Praise the Lord. So nobody trains him and sends him into the enemies then to go and fail. God has not orchestrated you to fail. Praise the Lord. That's why the Bible also reminds us. It says, if anyone shall draw back. He says, my soul will not have pleasure. Why? You will disappoint me. I'm expectant. 
Praise the Lord. I'm trusting you will overcome. I'm trusting you overcome. And if you now come to the book of Revelation, where the matter is now being rounded up, we're not, it's not those, they, they didn't say the born again will be saved. I I'm not sure. Somebody should check. I, I'm not sure there is born again in Revelation. Because it's the end. Everybody coming there has long been born again. What you begin to find there is those who have overcome. Those who have remained. Why? Because you've been born. It's just like when, 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 when somebody's, uh, you're, you're doing 70th birthday, we come and start talking about your mother and father, how your mother pushed and pushed you out after 70 years. If your mother pushed you out, what have you been pushing for 70 years? Praise the Lord. So it says, to him that overcomes, to him that remains, to him that stands. This is what they begin to say. So all the journey is a journey of experience, is a journey of manifestation, is a journey of showing what you have gained. And so the Apostle Paul says, let me gain all that he is. Praise the Lord. And no wonder he had, you know, extraterrestrial experiences. You know, he was on earth, he visited heaven, he didn't die. Most of us, the only time we're going to see heaven by God's grace is when we die. But the man was still alive. You know, in fact, they, they, I think they must have smuggled, in, smuggled him in. Because he said, whether in the body or he doesn't know, but that he went there and he can't even tell us some of the things he saw. How many want to have that experience? Will you tell us? Tell your neighbor, get your own yourself. Praise the Lord. But, but you see, these are dimensions. These are dimensions. John had it, thank God John's own, they told him, write it for us to read. Thank God John wrote his own, we're able to read it. Who knows the dimension that God wants to unravel to a generation through you and I? Praise the Lord. So the essence of what we are looking at is that this salvation we have, there's so much to it. Praise the Lord. It's much bigger, it's much, you know, it's much deeper, it's so much more effective. However, all this that we are talking about, we can't begin to get it until we get the right value. Revelation chapter 4, which we mentioned on Sunday, Revelation 4.11, it talks about you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For what? You created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. He said, you are worthy. The key word I want to pick there is the word worthy. The word worthy. And if you give us a 512, it says, worthy is the lamb. The next chapter, verse 12. They sang with a loud voice saying, one, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Now, that word there, worthy, is the same word from which the word worship comes from. So worship is actually saying giving worth to. Okay? So worship. Worship. I direct it. Okay? So worship is giving worth to God. Praise the Lord. Now, to gain, Paul says here, I'm counting everything as loss. I'm pushing everything away so that I may gain Christ. Now, now, Lord Jesus told us parables. He told the parable of the pearl of great price that a man found. And what did he do? He sold every other one he had that he may be able to buy it. And then he told the parable of the treasure in the field, which a man also found and did what? Sold everything that he had, that he had to buy. What's he saying there? In the kingdom, for you and I to advance in the kingdom, our value, our valuation must be correct. Very important. Why is that so? 
to every man born into this world, to every human being born, once you get to the age of reason, there's one responsibility that has been given to every one of us and a privilege as well. It is a privilege of judging God. Praise the Lord. Let me repeat that. God has given mankind the rare privilege as well as the responsibility of doing what? Of judging him. And what the outcome of my life and your life will be, will be how did you judge God? You see, when the Bible says Abraham, the father of faith, why is he the father of faith? Abraham came from a background of idol worshippers. And then God appears to him and says, get out of your family. Get out of your country. Get out of your people's land to a land that I will show you. Praise God. Now, what happens here? Abraham is not hungry. There was no war in his country. Praise the Lord. There, there was no, no problem. But someone says, get out and follow me to a land I'll show you. He didn't even mention, if he had mentioned a place, just like now, even if a madman comes to Nigeria now and says to some people, I will take you to Spain. You know people will follow him. <laughs> Praise God. Even I will take you to, uh, I keep forgetting this tiny country. You know. Is it uh, South America? Uh -huh. There are people who follow because they want to get out of it. But when they told Abraham, they didn't tell him where. So they might be saying, follow me from Nigeria to Sudan. Do you understand? But there was something in Abraham that judged God worthy to be followed. He said, this God, this one that is speaking to me must be greater than everything I've ever experienced. That's why the Bible says he believed God and it was accounted to him as what? Righteousness. Righteousness is judging God rightly. When you make a correct judgment of God, it is righteousness at its highest level. Adam and Eve failed because they made a wrong judgment of God. What was the wrong judgment? God's bless them god gave them everything they need god made them like god god put them in the garden and said don't eat of the fruit of this tree the day you eat it you die satan came and said to them the day you eat of this tree you accelerate to become god so they judge god satan and judge satan god are you with me they judge god to be unfaithful a liar and all of that and then judge satan to be the one who loves them they said god doesn't love us he kept the best from us Every sin is surrounded in that environment. What do you judge God to be? And every successful deception that the enemy creates in our life is the same thing. God is keeping the best from you. So when someone is being tempted with fornication or what, you know, premarital sex is called fornication, it's a simple thing. God is keeping something good from you. It's an accusation. Because if you followed God's word, you won't do it. So the enemy tells you, oh, this thing is good now. Why, why, why is God keeping it? In fact, these days, they won't even tell you why is God keeping it. He said, why is the pastor keeping it from you? Because some people want to ask permission. Can't I? Why shouldn't I? You know, can't I take bribe? Can't I do this? Can't I do that? No, he said, the issue is, what do you judge God to be? Anyway, Adam and Eve, they were faced with it. They did not misunderstand what God said. It was clear to them. They said, God said, the day we eat of this, what will happen? We will die. And he was still God. And said and said, the day you eat it, you won't die. Simple. They had to decide who is a liar. They had to decide. 
So she took it and ate. That was sin. That's the definition of sin. Righteousness on the other side is what Abraham did. Abraham said, well, he said I should follow him and I will follow him. He must know what he's doing. That's it. It's not about what you know, men may call morals today. It's deeper than it. It is about what you judge God to be. A simple illustration is this. If you took it, you know, hook, line, and sinker that is moral or proper to drive on the left side of the road in Nigeria. If you go to the UK, you'll be arrested. You, you won't even be arrested. you probably die after, by the time you drive a few, a few meters. Do you understand? Because for them there, they've said it is improper to drive on the left side. For those who visit there, if you visit when you're being trained here, you're trained when you get to the road, look left, look right, and left again. When you land at the UK airport, or I think Australia as well, you have to debrief yourself that the law in this land is illegal in this land. The illegal one is legal. You see, that's what righteousness is about. It's not about you and I. It's not about what I like or what you like. It's about the authority over us. So when you get to that place, instead of looking left, you now look right, left and right. Why? Because that's what has been set over the environment. You can go to, you can be very angry. These people are very, they're stupid. They don't know what I do. I have to look left, right. They will run into you. <laughs> Praise God. So that's what righteousness is. So for Adam and Eve, they had the issue, but Adam got it right. Adam judged God rightly. And since then, every man born into this world must make a judgment of God. And that's why the Apostle Paul, writing to us in Romans, was telling us that the invisible attributes of God are clear. They are made known. Everybody who lives in this world after a while will know that there is God. Simple question I want to ask you is this. We mentioned oxygen on Sunday. Who could be giving you oxygen? For a human being to live, what does he need? He needs food. He needs water. He needs oxygen. Praise the Lord. You can do without food for 40 days and not die. You can do without water for three days or four days and not die. No water. Oxygen, how many days? Eh? <laughs> how many seconds? Now, they pay for food. They pay for water. The most important one is giving free. Who can orchestrate such a, a system? If anybody says there is no God, let him answer that question. Why don't we pay for oxygen and get food free? Even anywhere they put you, you do... Some people's nose take double, and the thing hasn't finished. <laughs> Anywhere they keep you, you just take like this, oxygen will come. Because God runs his world. So the invisible attributes of God are still clear. Nature, everything is there. It puts everything in system that if any man sits down and thinks, he will start looking for God. In fact, I read somewhere, and it's so true. He said that all the people, all, all the atheists, and the... Um, whether scientists or philosophers, either of them, that had set out to disprove God, you know, that if they persisted in their pursuit, they became converted. If they were sincere, there are some that are just occultic, there are some demonic people that are just, you know, trying to... Uh, but the ones that are just saying, let's use analysis and intellectualism, and they're asking questions, are probing. As they probe, in fact, one of them, one of the best uh, Bible commentaries was written by somebody who started like that, who started out to disprove the Bible. Why? Because, you see, <laughs> he's God. He made all things. So if you ask questions and ask questions, you will get to a point where you see him staring at you face to face. So every man 
every woman every one of us must make that judgment and that is that thing that they have said to us you are gods you make the choice i can't force it on you some of us have wondered why didn't they just put electric fence round the tree of the knowledge of good and evil all this wahala won't be there eh? praise god <laughs> but you see if god did that we won't be in his likeness god is not constrained we won't have free will god is not constrained god is not bound so when he said let us make man in our image according to our light he had to also give us the freedom to choose so now what is happening in our world now is that god has created all this thing and he has stepped back out of his creation and he's presenting evidence and evidences and he's expecting you to judge rightly and that judgment determines the course of your life so when the apostle paul said okay who are you lord he says oh is that it from now now seven he went and began to preach him as the son of god he went declaring everywhere this is jesus christ he is the son of god i have changed my judgment of him and once that changed everything he said changed now we must be sympathetic to you know we, we talk about pharisees and sadducees and the way we talk about them listen we have to be very considerate you see it's like someone finishing uh, a phd program now okay he's done primary school secondary school university masters all of that and now comes our phd okay doctor of theology and then one carpenter from one neighborhood comes out and makes nonsense of his 20 years of study do you understand and is beating him at it so when they plan to kill jesus you must understand that they were not wicked it's just that he peppered them <laughs> do you understand he peppered and you know they knew he was right but it was too much for them to handle it was too much but you see, you and I will have to be careful also because there are some areas of our lives where having acquired something, even though we love God, even though we believe God, we don't want to change those areas. And that's why I have to be careful as today's Christians because the Pharisees were only trying to preserve what they had. If Jesus could add what he came with to their own, there would have been no problem. But just that he would dismantle their own. You have heard them say, you have heard them say, you have heard them say, now I say, you have, if I just said this one, they would have added it. I understand that, you know, they added their own laws about how many hundreds of them. They would have just made his own, the new edition. But you see, God is not about to share space with anybody. You have to dismantle. He says the man who finds this treasure will go and do what? Sell all that he has. And those are some of the things that we must begin to embrace and prayerfully embrace as born-again Christians. When I became born again, Momichi has told us here, when I became born again, before I got born again, I was particular about my appearance. When I got born again, I went the opposite way because I said, if that is what the way it is, but later the Lord helped me that it has nothing to do with whether I'm unshaven or, you know, so I got back and started looking at, at families. But you see, I became a Jew man to the extreme. If assuming the grace was in yellow shirt and red trouser and pink tie, you know, whatever it was that was not good, let me follow it as long as I hold this salvation. Is someone getting what I'm saying? Because you see, it's a new birth. You can't become born again and want to hold some things. So what am I saying, sir? I'm saying that if you get born again and you're holding traditions of where you come from, they should not interact with you and know that I do business with you and know you're an evil man because of the way you will not refund money that they paid you as deposit for something. 
Do you understand? They shouldn't work in your office and know you're a Yoruba person because of the way you're tribalistic and you're protecting the people that are from uh, Ogun State and Ondo. And you're, you know, they shouldn't. They shouldn't. You know why? You are no longer from there. You're a new person. He that is in Christ is what? A new creation. And why are we doing all of that? Paul says that I may gain Christ because all those things, they might sound advantageous to you, but they're hindrances. It shouldn't be a problem. Even the dressing I mentioned, it shouldn't be a problem. I keep mentioning that because it's a big challenge. Listen, if we read the Bible now and we saw that truly, 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 sisters should cover their hair. We all caught Abadan and Kara and give you whenever you're, you tie, sister tie, you tie your hand be moving. If we discover that this Brazilian hair truly like some SU people say, is carrying demon, you pull it off and bring the one that is carrying anointing. For some people, believers now, if you say no, we've won. You have lost them. They're ready to say, hell, hell I go. Which you mean? <laughs> hey, now you know that they are intercessors amongst the sisters. They will bind that imagination in the spirit. Pastor, hold it there. <laughs> Praise God. So everyone must judge God. We must judge God. In Luke 23, let's open to Luke 23. We're going to see a story there. You see, I'm saying that because until we get to that point, we've not begun to grasp how marvelous this salvation is. Luke 23, 32. I'll try and cut it short. Okay, Luke 23, 22. These are the crucifixion. He said there were also two others, two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, they were crucified with him, the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people who stood looking on, but the, even the rulers with them sneered, saying, he saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine. And saying, if you are the king of the Jews, do what? Save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrews, saying, this is the king of the Jews. Now, all these are people giving their evaluation based on where he was. We have been told what the people were saying, what these Jews were saying, and all of that. Now, 39 says, let's read 39 together, everybody. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, if you are the Christ, do what? Save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying what? Do you not even fear God, seeing you're under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then what happened? He said to Jesus, Lord, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Verse 43, Jesus said to him, As surely I say to you, what will happen? Today, you will be with me. How did this man get saved? He judged Jesus rightly. That's the challenge of all that we're doing. How do you judge him? This was a condemned criminal. He can't do repentance. He can't do restitution. Sorry, he, that's repentance in a sense. Let me not confuse. He can't do restitution. He has no good works he can add. There is nothing he can add. The only thing was that at the last moment of his life, he realized that Jesus is Lord of all. And because of that, an entrance was granted to him to heaven. 
This should comfort some of us that have ministered to those at their dying beds. You know why? There are people in their dying beds that will still not say Jesus is Lord. They are dying, no? But they say, ah, I don't insult church people too much. Even at this age, I won't. Judgment of who he is. The other one said, hmm, you say you're this. Okay, now, do something. And what that one was asking for was escape from the cross. But this one said, there's something going on here. It's not normal. And he said to him, Lord, remember me in your kingdom. And Jesus said, that's it. That's what I'm looking for. And he gave him an assurance. One of the few people that we can be here on earth and be sure that in heaven. And what did he do? He didn't win 1,000 people to Christ. He just judged him rightly. For every one of us, that is what it is. And now, what's the application for you and I? The situation where you are in, what are you judging God to be? You might be in lack. Do you still judge him faithful? You might be in abundance. Is he still Lord? Or has he become a junior partner? He's everywhere. Are you incapacitated? Are you saying to him, I know that even in this situation, you are capable. Men failed you. People disappointed you and all of that. Are you still saying to him, well, when all father and mother forsake me, I know that you never forsake me. Is that your judgment? That's what faith is. Faith is constantly judging God right in every situation. And you know what? It pleases him. When the Bible says faith pleases him, it pleases him. Can you imagine? Jesus could have taken that criminal to heaven without telling us. But he made it so clear. You know why? He was happy. He was very happy. Faith pleases God. And what is faith? You are God in spite of my circumstances. In spite of the environment. In spite of what is seen all around me. You are God. And you worship him. You are God. My rent is due. I don't have the money. Well, I may be an indebted tenant, but you are still my God. And I will worship you. It pleases him. Because it makes him know that you have hallowed him above circumstances. So when people begin to imagine that God in every circumstance must be brought in. No, he's not brought in. He's hallowed. He's hallowed. Let me tell you something. In the wilderness, when the children of Israel were brought out of Egypt, the pillar of fire was always there. The pillar of cloud was always there. When they didn't have water, the cloud was there. For the three days that they went, they didn't see water. There was cloud in the day and fire at night. That's a lesson for you and I. That even when we don't see what we are looking for, God is still there. And the Bible will tell us, if you can't read those accounts, it says the Lord tested them in the water of merriment. Tell yourself it's only a test. And tests are programmed. That's why it says, I will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. Test our program. I've seen the movie where, where they teach um, the, the uh, Nava seals. They put them in water, you know, make sure they're there. And sometimes some of them almost die, but they never allow them to die because they're watching them from a screen. When the person starts kicking like this, <laughs> some people will fake the kicking, they'll know that it's fake. And they allow them. <laughs> When they're seeing that this one is no longer freaking, he's in it like this one. He's waving by. He has gone to his house to say bye to his family. They go in and, and bring him out. <laughs> you know what? It's a test. So that's what faith is. Faith is judging God rightly in every circumstance. And this screaming has said, you are God. You're hanging here on the tree with me. But you are God. Save me. That's what he said. Can you imagine? A bleeding, battered, 
Jesus. He said, save me. But you and I now, we are serving and worshiping a resurrected Jesus. Why won't we trust him? Why won't we call him master? Why won't we know that he's coming? Do you understand what I'm saying? That is faith. So judgment of God. And that's what Paul was saying. Let me know him so that I can judge him well. It's the knowledge of someone that you have that determines how you judge him. There are some people that you know that you know and then they tell you a particular story. Say, ah, I, knew, I know him, oh, but why will he do something? It means that that story has gone beyond what you know. But there is a way you know the person that tell you the story. Say, it's impossible. That can't be all of it. Because you have known him beyond that level. So Paul was saying, I count all things as lost that I may know him to the fullest extent. Because that is what is going to happen. Why? As I'm knowing him, he's filling me up with himself, and then I'm experiencing him in dimensions that you could never have known or experienced unless you knew him at that level. So it's, I don't know whether I'll call it, is it um, a chicken and egg thing? So you're doing one, you're emptying, he's filling, you're knowing, you're emptying again, he's filling, you're knowing. It continues to go. That's why as a Christian, please, you see, Anywhere where you are now, and there's a thing that the Lord is asking you to obey him in, it's for your good. You know, Jesus was speaking to the Jews, and he made a statement. He said, in essence, let me paraphrase. He said, if you're willing to do, if you're willing to do what I'm asking, then you will know the truth. Then you will know if this doctrine is from God. You see, God is not in heaven trying to convince us in a sense no because it's god he's in heaven waiting for you to experience him there are two different things god is so true that he's not making effort to convince you every instruction god is giving to you is for you to experience his goodness so somebody might be somewhere and there's a word that if you obey unquote you will suffer loss god in heaven is saying let this man know that in this situation i'm mighty and what immediately will come to you is this. Ah, but this is a difficult thing. This is a hard thing. How can I do this? The moment you do it, you will now become a teacher to others that God is beautiful in every situation. But if you never do it, you will never know it. How would Joseph have known that the prison was closer to the palace than Potiphar's house? How would he have known that it was a step closer for him to being a prime minister than being number one servant in Paul? How would he have known? At the moment of trial, he would have wondered, God, I've tried now. I thought the next thing would be recommendation. Potiphar recommended me to Pharaoh. You're a very good servant. You should serve in Asorok, no longer in uh, Dodan Barracks. Let me take you there. It must have been his imagination. But how would he have known that obeying God in the matter of Potiphar's wife was going to put him in trouble? And then the trouble will elevate him to Pharaoh's house. How would he have known that unless you obeyed? He said if you obey, if you're willing and you obey, then you will know that this thing is from God. You will not know it's from God unless you obey. But now that obedience, that obedience can come from only one thing. Do you know what will make you obey, man? Anybody guess? will make you really obey someone eh? yes your worth of him there are some people now uh, uh, Zubi if I come to you now where is that your phone now let me see your phone 
You know my phone very well. Okay, okay. If I, it's even better that way. I say, take your wife's phone and bless that. That brother needs a phone. I say, take your wife's phone and bless. Will you argue? He, he, thought, he thought a bit. He thought a bit. Wahala, be. Okay, but assuming it's your phone, you won't argue, right? Why won't he argue? You know the reason he won't argue? He knows my phone is better than his own. He knows my phone is better than his own. He knows I'm not mad. He knows I'm reasonable. Okay? So he will immediately take his phone, you know, and give to the brother. And he won't be crying. Why? Because he judges me worthy to replace his phone. If you judge God worthy, everything he asks you to do, you will do it with joy. The reason we struggle to obey God is because we think when we obey him, we'll lose. And why are we going to lose? Because he's not able to compensate us. He's not able to reward us. So the apostle Paul says, I want to know him. In Acts of the Apostles, the Bible tells us that when the disciples were beaten, they returned to their company. I know what? They said, hallelujah. They were rejoicing. Why were they rejoicing? That they were counted worthy to suffer for Christ. To suffer for Christ. It's revelation of what? And that's what it is. As a Christian, as the revelation of, your, of, of the worth of Christ in your eyes increase, dedication, worship, service, obedience, everything becomes sweet. So when somebody doesn't do what God said he should do, it's not necessarily about beating the person. It's about opening his eyes. It's about helping him know this is the one who is asking you. Praise the Lord. i show you a story in, I think it's in Luke the Jews, like we know, these Jews were very, very um, legalistic. Luke chapter 7. And nothing will make a Jewish man go into the house of a Gentile. You know, they wouldn't do that. It would defile them. And in Luke chapter 7, something happens there. The Bible says from verse 2, And a certain centurion servant who was dead to him, the centurions were Gentiles, was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, the elders of the Jews came to Jesus, they begged him, they begged Jesus earnestly, saying that one, the one for whom he should do this was what? Deserving. For he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. These are the Jews. They are saying, we have laws, but we waive it for this man. When your love or rather, when your revelation of Christ's word begins to become real, you wave everything for him. That's what the Apostle Paul says, the love of Christ constrains me. It's not so much what I'm to do and what I'm not to do. It is who am I doing it or who am I not doing it. Nothing on its own is anything. That's the truth. Nothing on its own is anything. It's who and for what. And that's why we're human beings. It is why are you doing it. Why am I loving my wife? Why, why will I, you know, why will I become woman rapper for my wife? Is it because the boys brigade said I should do so? Or is it because Jesus, the captain of my salvation, said that's what he did for me. Let me do the same. Why should I submit and honor my husband? Is it because I'm stupid and he's wise? No. It's because the one who created us said this is what he wants. So I submit as unto the Lord. 
living husband and wife where you work in the office as believers we, we've said it here thank god this is uh, kingdom kids listen one of the paths of prosperity for christians in this generation is loyalty and faithfulness but many of us disobey that word how many of us christians in our place of work are outstanding in dedication i've told us here it's fraud they teach us when you go to work the money will never be enough so make other means of making money no as a christian the first thing you should do is serve that your earthly master as unto the lord let your master know let your employer that's what i'm saying let the employer know that this staff can never cheat me can never give me work less than what i expect in fact your always does over and above that is the path of raising for the believers they did not prosper joseph in potiphar's house we've said it because he was selling recharge card because he had side business he was prospered in potiphar's house because what he was outstanding to potiphar as to jesus listen if you're a christian businessman here or you're a christian artisan or whatever it is if you're in wuse market and you've been there for eight years by now because of your christianity Customers that you transacted with when they were level 07 should be palm sex now. They should call you and you supply goods worth millions to their organization. If you dealt with them as a Christian, if you're a carpenter and you fixed furniture for somebody 15, 20 years ago and you did it as a Christian, I bet you when that guy is building a hotel, even if you don't have a factory, he will tell you be the consultant. That's the way he raises. But Christians will not obey God in that. And then you want to command, break devil's hand and take money. It doesn't work that way. These are instructions in the Bible. I read a story somewhere that um, a man in the, in the local beer parlor, they were saying, and they mentioned that a man had become born again. You know, you know when things happen, people change. So in the beer parlor, they said, this man is now born again. Uh, one guy said, okay, he's going to confirm if he's born again. The guy that got born again sold logs. You know, this um, wood for construction of houses. So one of the people that said he's going to confirm to them tomorrow if he's born again. So he went to his uh, shed and ordered wood. And when they loaded the wood, he took it to his workshop. When he got to his workshop, he measured them and nodded his head. The next evening at the drinking parlor, he went to them. He said, the man is born again. They said, how do you know? They said, he always buys wood from this man. And it's always short by a few inches but that's a standard practice everywhere so he really didn't bother but that the wood he bought today after you people said he was born again was full length he said i confirm he's born again that's what jesus said when you behave as a christian it doesn't just advance the kingdom it is safety for you there are many of us that have had contacts and abused it and we're praying the prayer you should be praying is prayer of repentance and second chance. It's not the devil that is against you. It's disobedience. Praise the Lord. Every word of God to you and I is to bless us. Do you know what the message of prosperity is? Holiness. If you keep obeying God everywhere, you come into a house as a nanny. You don't steal. You don't misbehave. Before three, four years, you become a son, a daughter in that house. That's the way it functions. But you can come in as a nanny that will be spitting inside the food and think heaven is not sinning. I don't go, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you think witches are coming from your village. The witches from your village will save their transport money. Your disobedience is already winching you. 
Why would they come when you're disobeying? Anybody that's disobeying God. <laughs> no, it's very simple. This is the word of God. Is what? Why will God tell you to do something? Or why will God tell you not to do something if he won't advance you? Is he idle? I mean, why? Every word of God. Praise the Lord. Every word of God. We mentioned giving, tithing, in and all of that. And we've said don't bother about it because I don't want anybody who is dealing with adultery or fornication or armed robbery to use tight and jump and pass. No. As you progress, you get to a point where the Spirit of God will, let you, will ask you a question. This money you made, who did it for you? So it has to be settled in levels. That's why I don't, but at least this is Wednesday I can talk about it a bit. Praise the Lord. You're a Christian, you're making money, you know, and you're praying and God is blessing. What do you think? What's his own in the money? Eh? If they show you something on Facebook, you order it. If they bring it to your office, you pay. But when it comes to bringing some back to God to say, I honor you as the source of this increase, that's when you begin to calculate what did free say and what did fire say. Do you understand? I, I, mean, I mean, you just don't understand. Every word of God is a blessing word. Some of them, they give us the details. They tell us husbands that we should dwell with our wives. That we should take care of them as weaker vessels so that what will happen? So that our prayers will have express passage to heaven. Some of them, they tell us, but every of them has that side. Children, obey your parents as unto the Lord. For it's the only first commandment, what? With a promise. Every commandment has a promise. Some were told. Anyway, where, where our emphasis tonight is worth, worth. How do you judge God? How do you judge God? Who is speaking? When you read the Bible, who is speaking to you? Someone has noted that the word of God is not difficult to obey because it's difficult. It's because people are unwilling to judge it as coming from God. Just say to yourself, this is God. That's why we try to talk on Sunday about the majesty of God, his awesomeness. When you say this is God speaking, praise the Lord. There are some of us say that if someone calls you by 4 a.m., you will answer with a sleepy voice. But a particular person calls you by 4 a.m., you will do, ah, 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 hello, I'm awake, I'm awake. Because you know that this person, whenever he calls, something good. No excuse. You clear your voice. You, you stand up even in your bedroom. And say, so I can start coming now. It's the worth you place on the person. That's what Paul was saying. The surpassing greatness of Christ. Every believer must come to know it. He's a mighty God. He's a mighty God. He's a great God. And he is your God. Praise the Lord. And he has given all of himself to you. Tonight, let's go to him in prayer. Lord, I want to know you more. Lord, I want to know you more. I want to judge you rightly. I want to judge you rightly. I want to judge your words rightly. I want, I want to see you better. Take away every deception. Take away every vagueness. You are God. You are God. You are God. Maker of heavens and the earth. The creator of all things. You formed me in my mother's womb. You thought of me. You made out a plan. You know me by name. Where I am now, you're not surprised. There's a plan for me where I am. I just need to see God. Joseph had to see God bigger than Potiphar, bigger than the prison man, bigger than every guard in Egypt. 
So he said, God will bring me out. I will keep obeying him. The song says, I go to worship my God. He go to do him for me. Yes, because it's bigger than every circumstance. It's bigger than school fees. I don't have to compromise. Neither do I even have to lose sleep. Do you know that the children that you're worrying about their school fees are God's children? That's one prayer somebody can pray. Father, your children, their school fees are due. And you will pay them. Tonight, just ask the Lord, be magnified. Be magnified, O oh Lord. The songwriter says, I've made you too small in my eyes. But tonight, Lord, be exalted. I lift you high. If a criminal can see you as Lord hanging on the cross, you are high and lifted up now. You are Lord over my life. As a nation, we see him, God. He's bigger, bigger than the plots of men. Bigger than the plots of the caliphate. Bigger than the plots of Fulani. Bigger than the plots of the corrupt. Bigger than Boko Haram. Bigger than everyone. He's bigger. He's mighty to save. He's God. The hearts of men are in his hand. Above that, their breath are in his hands. He said, what is man? He said, like the grass and the flower of the field. In the morning, it flourishes. And by evening, it fades away. He's saying, I can take out any man. Anytime. He said, I answer them. I humble them. I teach them lessons. I'm God. The Most High still rules in the affairs of men. But tonight, bring him home. Let him come home with you. You can sing a song to him. Tell him be magnified. Tell him be magnified. Tell him you're bigger than sickness. You're bigger than pain. You're bigger than infirmity. None of them can stop you. The apostle Paul said to the people, he said, why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? Brethren, do you think it incredible that God will heal that sickness? It doesn't matter what they've called it. It doesn't matter the prognosis and the diagnosis. He is Jehovah Rapha. He heals he heals with a word. He heals with a touch. He heals. He said he sent his word. And he healed. And he delivered from afflictions. He changes situations. He changes times and seasons. He taught institutions are under him. People of God, we serve a mighty God. We serve a mighty God. We serve a mighty God. God needed Joseph and Mary to travel back to Nazareth. And he made the king to issue a decree for a census. God can touch governments. God can touch organizations. God can touch institutions to walk in your favor. He's God all by himself. We worship you, Lord. We worship you. We worship you. We worship you. We worship you. You are worthy of our worship. Lord, we worship you. We worship you. We worship you. We worship you. Be magnified, it's okay. 
Be magnified. Be magnified. Be magnified. Be magnified. We can rise on our feet as we You've been listening to a message by Pastor Ike Naokeke of the Father's Church. We are sure you've been blessed. We invite you to worship with us at Eden Center, Banex Guarimpa Expressway, near Next Kashinkari, Abuja. For telephone 09-290-9000 or 0703-1588404. You can find us online at www www.thefatherschurchonline.org God bless you.